Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, Brandon, the MMA propaholic. Today, we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 79, Rafael Fiziev versus Mateusz, Mateusz Gamrot. And Brandon, it's going down this Saturday live at the Apex. You got two top 10 lightweights in the main event, a clash of styles, and the winner is going to take a big step towards title contention. I'm I'm looking forward to this card, Dan, a lot. I really like uh I really like the violence perspective on this card. Um, I really think there's some good betting spots. I have a pretty good amount of action already, and it's only Wednesday in the week so far. And yeah, I'm ready to jump into it whenever you're ready to jump into it, man. Well, I'm ready right here, right now. So let's not even waste any time because in the main event, we got Rafael Fazeev, he's twelve and two, taking on Matush Gamrot, who's twenty two and two unbelievable records on both sides and currently they got it rafael faziv minus 150 the comeback on mateusz gamrot is plus 130 honestly brandon this is one of those fights that they run it 10 times i see a different outcome every single time so in instances like that i mean i tend to go with the underdog you you line Fizzy of the dog, I'm going with him. You line Gamrot the dog, I'm going with him. And I think there's instances where it can be a close back and forth fight. I think there's instances where either guy can dominate. It just depends who shows up on the night. And I know that that's a boring thing to say. I know the fans don't want to hear that. I know that they want you know me to plant my flag, but I really think that's the truth here. Yeah, so do I. I mean, you got two great fighters. I mean, basically, Fizayev, if he beats Justin Gaethje, he possibly could be the next title contender uh, after the winner of Oliveira versus uh, Makashev. And then you got a guy in Gamrot who's going to try to get to the fight to the ground. Uh, he's a really good wrestler. I don't really like his control, but, I mean, if he's going to want to stand with Fizayev, he's going to really have to provide himself and, like, get his jab going because Fizayev does tend to struggle a little bit with uh, – with the jab, um, because that's how Gaethje kind of beat him in the last two and a half minutes of that fight. But yeah, man, striker versus grappler uh matchup, and it's a five round main event, and it's a good way to close out the sixteen week uh event run that we've been on. Man, it's been it's been four months of fights, and I've really enjoyed it. But man, a break's coming up, and this is a great fight to get on that break, man. So I'm really looking forward to this one, man. Yeah, no doubt about it. So what's interesting is we know Fiziev has 90% takedown defense, and we know Gamrot's taken down every single opponent he's faced, win or lose, inside the octagon. And it's not just anybody that he's taken down, Brandon. I'm talking about six takedowns landed against guys like Armin Sarukian. And on the flip side of things, Armin Sarukian went one for eight on takedowns against Gamera. So Gamera isn't just good offensively. He's good defensively too. Against a guy like Benil Dariush, takes him down four times, attempts 19, which is a big deal in my eyes because some might look at it as, well, you know, he's not as accurate with his takedowns. I look at it as this guy can, he can go all night. He can keep going and going and going. And I talk about this often. These guys that can attempt takedown after takedown after takedown and not get discouraged, they're matchup problems, especially when you're going up against a guy like Fazeev, who's he's very fast twitch. He's very explosive. He's dynamic. I mean, if these guys are going to just do, you know, a 30-meter a, a dash or whatever, Fiziev's winning that. If it's about who's got the higher vertical jump, Fiziev's winning that. He's a much better athlete. But with that athleticism, with that fast twitch, 
I mean, there's a risk and a reward, and you have seen in some of these fights, whether it's the Gaethje fight in round three, whether it's the Bobby Green fight in round three, he does tend to slow down a little bit. And the thing about those two fights is they both took place in Fiziev's realm, which is standing. There, there was no grappling threat in either of those fights. So here, what I'm interested about is I definitely think, you know, uh, Fazeev's gonna he's gonna not only stuff some of these takedowns, but he's gonna look good doing it. He's gonna be balancing on one leg. You know, his balance is absolutely insane. He wow. might even make Gamrot look kind of silly at first. But what I'm wondering is when that third, that fourth, that fifth round rolls around, and let's say Gamrot hasn't been knocked out or severely compromised. What's Fiziev going to look like there? Is that when Fiziev's going to finally concede that top position and Gamrock can finally work? Because it's easy, it's easy to say, oh, well, he's a wrestler and Fiziev's a striker and just leave it at that. But it's not that simple. Gamrock has a very interesting style of wrestling. He does something that's very unique in MMA, which is the low single. That's something you often see in college wrestling. And it's a lot easier to do in college wrestling because they got shoes on. But in MMA... You don't often see guys going for low singles. You see, like, for example, when you watch Rafael Fazeev against RDA, which I bet five units on Rafael Fazeev in that spot. He stuffed a lot of takedowns, but RDA is going for traditional single legs. He's going for traditional double legs. To have a guy going for that low single, that's a different look that I'm not sure Fazeev has seen yet, and he's going to have to make in-fight adjustments to address it, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be the movement of Fazeev early, I think he's really going to have to get the hands going early because I know he does like to throw a lot of body kicks. He likes to switch stance body kicks. Um, And I know Gamrot, when he actually goes to his wrestling, he really likes to do it in the southpaw stance because I remember Cormier was talking about it as if you're in a southpaw and you're doing all these like single leg takedowns, it's actually easier to get to the leg. And Fizayev really didn't go to the leg kicks against Gaethje because he did feel Gaethje's leg kicks early. I mean, we know Gaethje probably has the hardest leg kicks in the division, Fizayev, to have to stun Fizayev like that and to kind of stop his uh, kicking game was was really good for Gaethje, especially early because he was able to beat him with the hands later in the fight. And yeah, obviously Gaethje was able to take him down, but obviously it was in the last seven seconds of the round. Fizayev didn't expect it, but you know I think what Fizayev is really going to have to do in this fight is he's going to have to attack the lead leg of Gamrot early. He's going to really have to lateral cage and move away from Gamrot. Um, I don't really think he should just stand tall with Gamrot. I don't really think he should like pressure him early because if he pressures him early and he, he uses a lot of his movement and he uses a lot of speed early because this guy is very explosive with his strikes, especially early. And we've seen him in the third round, as you said, Dan, against Bobby Green. He tended to fade. I mean, Bobby Green threw 74 significant strikes in, in that third round. So he came out with a lot of output, and it was, it was just stunning Fizayev. And in the RDA fight, like, RDA was going for all these takedowns. He was able to get a nice double leg, I think, at the end of round four, holding Fizayev down for the last minute. And Fizayev, the corner, was like, yeah, man, you, you got to come out. You got to just keep moving. Throw your hands. Like, he's literally there to be hit. They are actually telling him to kind of hit Fizayev, um, to hit RDA on the chest because they thought it was just going to, like, kind of just slow down his – uh slow down his cardio so he doesn't keep shooting takedowns. So him getting hit in the chest makes him think more about shooting these takedowns and uh, exhausting his energy. So if Fizayev came out and knocked him out in the fifth round with the same left hook that he knocked out Moicano in that first round, and the speed behind that left hook, 20 minutes into the fight with the wrestling, it looked really good. But, dude, as you said, man, I mean, Gamrot's wrestling is paced. It's crazy, man. But in the Turner fight, dude, I know he was dealing with, like, a seven-inch reach disadvantage. 
but when it was whenever Turner was hurting and after the takedowns, Turner was throwing knees every time in the clinch. And that was really making Gamrock kind of think of how far he should really be shooting out from these takedowns because he shoots from really far out. And against a guy like Fizayev, he's going to be able to make those reads early. So I, I mean, I bet Fizayev here. I, I have him at minus 150. I bet him last night. I didn't get minus 130. I would have really liked minus 130, but I still like him in this fight. The only thing that does scare me is the later rounds because if Gamrot really can push that pace like he did against Terzukian and get him down, he's definitely live in this fight. He lost the first two rounds against Terzukian, and the first why he lost the first two rounds is because every single time he was switching southpaw, Terzukian in that camp did their study. He was blasting those body kicks, and I know for a fact Vizayev's going to come out here. He's going to try to do that early as well, and he is just such a better kickboxer than Terzukian, and it's it's not even close. I mean, I think Vizayev is easily the best striker in the division next to Justin Gaethje, so... I said in my breakdown on my Twitter that I think he's a former 155 champion. I I, I really like this guy's all-around game. So, yeah, I like him here. But, dude, if, if Gamrock can, like, get him down and kind of push the pace on him, dude, he might find a submission in the fourth and fifth round, dude. So, like, if you want to play Gamrock and you kind of think he does, like, survive the early storm, because he might, but I don't know if he is. But if he ends up doing it, he's probably going to have the better cardio through the fourth and fifth round. So, that submission, the submission for Gamrot four five could be live also, but I I do like Fizayev here, Dan. Um, I don't know if you like Fizayev here. I think you said you like Gamrot, but I'm pretty confident Fizayev here, dude. I think he gets the job done. I think he can get it done by decision, but I wouldn't be shocked if he knocked him out in the first couple of rounds, man. Because uh, Gamrot has shown that he does get hurt off the left hook, and that's just Fizayev's Fizayev's bread and butter. So yeah, I like Fizayev here, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not really planning my flag just because it's these these two are so high level. You like I said, you run this 10 times, you run this 100 times. I can see it go either way. It's not like, you know, Natalia Silva versus Victoria Leonardo where you can run it a thousand times and Natalia is going to win a thousand times. You know what I mean? This is this is different. Um, and you bring up some great points. The body kicks. Sarukian had a lot of success with those body kicks. That knee of Jalen Turner, you know, for a fact. The Zeev's got some nice knees. He's going to time something nice. And then speaking of the Turner fight, because I was only bringing attention to how, you know, Gamrot's got that low single game. In the Turner fight, he was actually going to, to traditional double legs, which was nice yeah. to see that he can mix it up a little bit more traditionally because I think, you know, with a guy as long as Jalen Turner, it probably was tough to get in on those low singles. And, and you got all those front chokes to worry about, those long man chokes, even if Jalen Turner – isn't no isn't a black belt in jujitsu. I'm sure he's at least a purple belt or a brown belt. You know, with those long man chokes, when when someone that long gets around your neck, it doesn't matter what belt you are. Look at John Jones when he was a white belt. You know, putting Machida to sleep. You know, or God now. You know, more recently. So this is a tough one for me, but I think that there's instances where Fazeev stuffs early and he lights up Gamrot and destroys him. And I think there's also instances where. Okay, so when you look at these fights that Fazeev has had the higher output, the Gaethje fight, the Bobby Green fight, those are the fights where he's slowed down. But the fights where he's been able to maintain it into the deeper rounds, the Dos Anjos fight, the Riddell fights, well, not much was coming back from the other side. And that's not to discredit the, the opponents because it says on the stats that RDA attempted 16 takedowns which I watched it back. I'm not sure that's accurate, but the fact that it even says that, I'm like, damn, because... That's what Gamrot's going to do. It's just Gamrot's going to do it in his funky way. You look at the Jalen Turner fight, and Gamrot attempted 12 takedowns there. 
You look at the Dariushvai, Gamra attempted 19 takedowns there. You look at the Armin Sarukian fight, listen to this, Gamra attempted 21 takedowns there. And Armin, Armin Sarukian and Benil Dariush are very, very high-level grapplers. And I think Fazeev's a good grappler too, but I think that at some point, third round, fourth round, fifth round, He's eventually going to concede that top control, and that's where I think Gamrock can take over the fight. So, again, a fight where they run it many times. You see a different outcome each time. Both guys can obviously win this fight, but they're not lining it to pick them. I'm talking like it's a pick them, so I'm going to have to go with the plus 130, hopefully maybe even a plus 135 or a plus 140 later on in the week on Gamrock. And, and may the best man win because both these guys are incredible fighters. I can see both of them fighting for the belt down the line. And uh, I don't think that anyone should look down upon the person who loses this fight. You know, it's yeah. uh, that this is what happens. This is, you know, people talk about like, oh, like why, why, like, you know, why do you have to kill off a prospect or kill off a contender? I say, fuck that. I want to know who the better guy is, you know? So yeah. I, I love matchups like this, you know, let's find out who's better. And it's going to come down to who's better on the night. And, you know, we can make excuses for each guy like Gamrod. Oh, he took the, the Jalen Turner fight on short notice or Fazeev. You know, he had to travel halfway across the world or whatever the case may be is. But at the end of the day, I expect both these guys to show up at their best for this. They both had ample notice. It's a main event. They know each other very well. They know what's on the line. And I think actually both even might have trained in Florida for this one um, at different yeah, gyms, the ATT did, yeah. and Sanford. So there's jet lag is not going to be a factor. Um you know, I don't think there's going to be anything against these guys that we know of, you know, so I think they're going to be at their best and may the best man win, you know, so at least yeah. one of us is going to be right unless Mike Bell gives an ill-advised 10-8, oh, you know. Man. Oh, that Shevchenko ticket, man. I mean, I was shitting bricks with it, but I mean, 10-8, man. After I saw it, after the fight, I was like, wow. I mean, I've seen it all <laughs> after that one, man. I, I, I that's a good way to put it you know right when i thought i've seen it all now now i truly have seen it all you know it, it, it's it's unbelievable so cold main event of the evening in the featherweight division we got bryce mitchell he's 15 and 2 taking on dan Ige, who's 17 and 6 currently they got it bryce mitchell minus 200 the comeback on dan Ige is plus 170 another interesting matchup you know not quite a similar dynamic to the main event but we know what Mitchell wants to do, right? And, and don't get me wrong. Let's not sleep on his striking either because he does have some very unorthodox sidekicks. He had Barboza so worried about the takedown that he dropped him with a straight punch. Um, and, you know, when you're at the top of the division, you got to be well-rounded in there. He even took down Taporia in that last fight. And Dan Ige is a guy who's been around the block, similar to Mitchell, knows what it means to have a six-fight win streak in the UFC, knows what it means to rebound from losses, has been there against the top guys in the division. So this is an incredible matchup. Uh, who are you leaning towards, and what do you think about the odds? Yeah, so I'm leaning towards Bryce Mitchell to win. But um, at minus two, I like especially minus two hundred five, minus two ten. It just kind of scares me a little bit because, I, I mean, I do think obviously I think Dan Ige is the better striker. He's gonna have more power here. I, I think he has pretty good leg kicks. Um, I think he Dan Ige has wrestling in his background. I mean, he went to it against Nate Landwehr. He um against Damon Jackson, he was able to stuff the takedowns. And Damon Jackson is a pretty good grappler. He's very good at getting your back, especially in the in the apex. Damon Jackson is really good at getting your back and getting you up against the fence and just dragging you down. And Bryce Mitchell, we know Bryce Mitchell is very strong in the clinch. He actually did have a couple of moments against Taporia on the feet at the before he got knocked out. He was landing a couple of shots, but I mean, Taporia is just a killer. 
and everything he throws is, is just with power ending intentions. And even when you watch Ige in the five round fight against the zombie, you know, we know he was trying to go in there and kill him off that Gavin Tucker knockout. And he was just getting taken down because he was putting all his power into his strikes and he was getting tired. And this guy, you know, he, he fought Josh Emmett very well. Um, I think Emmett was able to win um, some minutes with the wrestling as well. So I, I think Mitchell is probably the pick here. Um, I mean, it's just minus 200. It just scares me. I would have liked minus 140 way more. So congrats to the people who backed him in minus 140 because I really like him at that price. But Dan Ige is definitely live here, man. He's seen it all. And when I was just like, I was shocked that I was going through his topology that this guy's only 32 years old, man. I mean, he's, he's been in the UFC now. I think for about, if I am could be mistaken, eight to nine years, if, I, if I'm wrong, maybe since 2016, he's been in there. But yeah, man, I, I this is a great fight, great co-main event. I'm, I'm picking Bryce Mitchell. Um, I do think his sub prop does have some value because, I mean, this guy is obviously, we know, like Dan Ige, he's a black belt. But I mean, when Bryce Mitchell's on the ground, man, this guy is constantly passing positions. He's constantly hunting submissions. He's not just sitting in guard. He did it with Barboza because he didn't want to go back on the feet with Barboza. So I don't really know what's going to be the case here with Ige. But I don't think he's going to want to stand with Ige, man, especially after coming off a bad knockout. And I know with Bryce Mitchell's uh, Instagram recently, you know, he's with Trevor Peak. He's with all the Trevor Peak, And he's having this whole thing with his girlfriend, too. So I don't really know where his head's at. So I just think minus 200, like, I, I, I wouldn't lay it. But I am picking him to win because... There are some questions about Bryce Mitchell coming into this fight. I don't know how focused he is with what is outside information going on, dude. And he, he's coming off a pretty bad knockout against Taporia. I know Taporia is the next title contender, but still coming off a bad knockout. He took a lot of damage. And this guy's striking defense, man. He, he doesn't move his head. He eats shots. He really relies on his toughness just so he can get you into clinch, body lock, throw you, take you down, and then pass position. But, yeah, if he gets a rapid Ige and he gets him down, he's more than likely going to control him for the round. But I, I, on the feed, I like Ige here. So, honestly, what I'm thinking about on a betting perspective, I, I'm a little bit curious to see um, what both guys by split decision are because I think this is going to be a really close fight. I think uh, Mitchell's going to win a bunch of control time. He's going to win a bunch of minutes. And I think when this gets on the feet, Dan Ige is going to come out like a bat out of hell, and I think he's going to win moments. I think he might even drop Mitchell in this fight. So, yeah, I like fight them by split, but I'm picking Bryce Mitchell to win, and I'm picking him to win by split decision. Uh, what do you think about that, Dan? Yeah, just to respectfully correct you, so uh, Taporia landed no a knockdown, but he actually finished him with an arm triangle. He, he didn't knock him yeah. out. But, but, buddy, I mean, point taken. He landed a bunch of damage. He landed a knockdown. He beat his ass. So, I mean, everything you said is valid there. And then in the Emmett fight, what was interesting was Emmett actually dropped Ige, but Ige was the one that took down Emmett, interestingly enough. And a lot of people thought that, Ige might have squeaked by that Emmett fight that there was an argument that he could have won that fight. But when you look at that three fight skid he had, I mean, you're dealing with the zombie who, who's a legend in the sport. Emmett, who at the time was, you know, one fight away from a title shot. Uh, you know, Movsar Evloev, who I think is an absolute phenom. I mean, Movsar is 17 and 0, and people like to give him shit about that Diego Lopez fight. Well, now you guys see how good Diego Lopez is. And those same submission attempts that Diego Lopez had on Movsar, they're going to get a lot of other people, but Movsar Evloev is a different animal. And do not be surprised if you guys see Movsar Evloev fighting for a title at some point in the next year or two. So, um, 
And, and so Mosar took him down nine times, and that was the fight that I wanted to watch the most because I wanted to see, you know, well, uh, considering Ige is going up against Mitchell, I want to see what, what happens in a fight where he gets taken down nine times. And what I took away from that fight was, wow, Evlo is a phenom. That, that's really what I took away from it. It wasn't even about what Ige did wrong. It was just, man, you were just in there with a much better man. And I'm pretty confident saying that Evloev would run through Mitchell as well. But back to this, I mean, so when Ige got back up against Evloev, here's the issue. So he, he was able to get back up to his feet, but Evloev was able to keep that body lock uh, standing. So I'm questioning if he gets back up to the feet, is he going to be able to create separation against Mitchell, who I don't think, you know, I know he doesn't look as strong, but he's got that farm boy strength. So he probably is a little bit deceptively strong, but I just don't know if he can chain it uh, together as well as a guy like Evloyev can. Um, and now Ige's got his confidence back, which is really, really important. And confidence goes a big way. It goes far in this sport, and it's nice to see, you know, Ige coming off three losses compared to Ige now coming off two very dominant wins. You know, he feels like he's back in the mix because before it's like, wow, you're fighting for your job. Now you're fighting for a top 10 spot in the world. So I feel like he's back. He's in a camp that has a lot of momentum. They got the champ, Sean Strickland. So they know what to look out for. It's just, can they stop it? That's the big question here because back to like what we were talking about with Gamera, Mitchell is one of those guys that's going to attempt a ridiculous amount of takedowns. You go to the Barboza fight. He didn't even have to because all four takedown attempts he had, he landed four takedowns. Barboza wasn't able to stuff. But you go to a fight, for example, against him and Feely, and he attempted 13 takedowns, got seven of them. So at least with Mitchell, you can count on him to reliably go for takedown after takedown after takedown. With Ige, the big question here is, is he going to be able to consistently stuff? And if he can't, will he be able to get back up from bottom? That's what I'm wondering. Because on the feet, again, you can't discount Mitchell. You know, he did. He did. Like I said, he had Barboza so shook about the takedown that Barboza drops his guard, gets caught with a punch. Also has that kind of awkward sidekicking game. But man, I think that Ige is the much more physical guy here. And I think that contingent on him not being neutralized for extended periods of time I mean, I think that he does have the capability of hurting uh, Bryce Mitchell here. And I don't think that Ige is, you know, some novice grappler himself. I don't think he, he's never been submitted before. He's been in there with some real killers. And I've seen him in deep choke attempts like that Mirsad Bektic fight with that arm triangle. And he was able to gut it out. Uh, so he's a very tough guy. But then you have seen spots like against Zombie where he did get, uh, give up his back multiple times. But I feel like Zombie's a guy that doesn't get the credit he deserves. Zombie's a guy that submitted Dustin Poirier. Zombie's a guy, you just see the fight he had with Max Holloway on his retirement fight. Like, when, like Zombie is a legend for a reason. I know a lot of newer fans don't appreciate him, but the guy, like, he's got a reputation for being a brawler, but he's got a lot of technical shit, too. Do not sleep on the zombie. So I think that this is an honest fight. So, therefore... You know, it, it, like if you got in at minus 150 on Mitchell, okay, good job. You beat the line by 50 cents. You did your job. But now at minus 200, we're looking at a completely different fight. And I'm hoping at this plus 170, plus 180, where I might take a one or two unit shot, that Ige, get me to a split decision. You know, if you knock him out along the way, great. But get me to a split decision at these odds, and I feel like I made the right bet. 
So I haven't I haven't bet anything on this card yet, but that's something I'm eyeing there. Uh, so let's see what happens. I'm gonna go with Ige here. Yeah, I I don't hate it, man. I mean, do you bet uh point spreads ever? Like, because I, I think it's plus three and a half is actually pick them in minus one ten. So basically, you would just need them to win around on all on all scorecards and not have them get finished. Yeah, yeah. So back in the day, point spreads like were a big thing on five dimes. Uh, you yeah. know, you remember what happened with five dimes. They uh, shut yeah, down. They went under. Yeah, it, it got crazy, bro. Like they uh, they limited me at one point to 50 cents per bet. <laughs> and like oh, I had like a whole I had a whole bunch tied up in there and they were limiting me to 50 cents per bet. So then when I tried to withdraw, they like ran me through every fucking hoop. Like they'd send me like this pin code and then I'd type yeah. in the pin code and then it'd be the pin code was expired. And, it, like, and then you'd have to call customer service and you'd like wait for an hour on a wait like bro they tried everything possible to not give you your money and then like and then when you uh deposited a bunch of money they limited you to 50 cent bets it was crazy but the reason i brought that up i went off on a tangent was because they used to offer those point spreads and one thing i've always said and i'm glad you brought that up brandon is that just like point spreads are available in all major sports they should absolutely be available widely uh in mma as well so um have you seen them i haven't really checked but have you seen them like on bet online and, and stuff yes. like that? yeah they're on bet online i actually have two point spread bets for this card that i'll be talking about and they're on DraftKings as well but in new york they actually don't have it on uh DraftKings. so shame on you DraftKings. please give us new yorkers point spreads but yeah it's on bet online and it's on DraftKings. um i don't know what what state you're in i think i know you're atlanta braves fan so i i think i think you guys have it I think you guys yeah. do have it. Yeah, so. no, I mean, there, there, there's certain things we can do to work around it to make sure I get access to it, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, it'd be nice to have money line over under point spread. Yeah, you know, just like with all major sports. So yeah. yeah, no, and I feel you on that because you get you know a plus three and a half at a decent price, and I think that's not only a good bet for someone like Ige, but for some of these other underdogs, you know, Fletcher's yep. coming up on the card. You know, he always wins around in all his fights. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about that, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah, I guess I just need to pay attention more because for the longest time, Five Dimes was the only book that offered that, and it was kind of yeah. like a taboo-like prop, whereas it should be something that's widely available just like it is with every sport. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought attention to that and I'm going to and I'm going to, you know, open my eyes more now that that's something that, you know, because not only that, but even like just props in general, it used to be a thing where like you could only get down like 50 bucks on a prop, right? Or like Oh you know, god, I would oof. Yeah, or like you could only get no, down man, like, that gets me I'm a prop like, guy. <laughs> like 10 10 to 100 bucks on a prop, right? Mm -hmm. So like when when I was first starting out, dudes would be laying like 10 bucks on props and then act like they were up 100 units. So like wow. you, you would like be calling them out, but now times have changed where you can actually get down a good chunk of change on props. So you know, I'm glad you're bringing that to my attention regarding the point spreads being like a more widely available thing now. Featured bout in the strawweight division, we got a rematch between Marina Rodriguez. She's 16, three and two, taking on the karate hottie Michelle Watterson Gomez, who's 18 and 11. Currently, they got it. Marina Rodriguez minus 300. The comeback on Michelle Watterson's plus 250. So, Brandon, I rewatched this fight last night, um, and basically. Marina uh, Rodriguez had target practice against Michelle Watterson for the first three rounds. And then in the fourth round, 
what happens in almost every single Marina Rodriguez loss or draw happen. One takedown, she can't get up from bottom. And it's just so frustrating that that's been what's held her back. You watch her fight against um, Randa Marcos. You watch her fight against Cynthia Calvillo. She's owning them both on the feet. But the second the fights hit the mat, these girls damn near 10-8 her, and she just can't get up from bottom. And Rodriguez, what's interesting is that when she was like a prospect, she was like already 31, which is not old. That's, it, it, you know, you're in your prime and stuff. But what I'm saying is that, you know, 35 and 36 is right around the corner. And now she is 36, right? So it's like, it, it almost happened overnight how she was, you know, a fight or two away from a title shot, you know, coming off wins over Hivas, over Dern, over Zhao Nan, even though I thought Zhao Nan won. Hey, officially on record, you beat Zhao Nan. So you're a fight away, fight or two away from a title shot, but all of a sudden you're 36 now. Pretty crazy. Luckily for her, on the other side of things, Michelle Watterson is pushing 40. She looks great. I, I, you know, you love, you love, I love me some karate hottie, but she is pushing 40. And what I've kind of always described Michelle Watterson's style as, um, I think she brings three things to the table a good sidekick, a good head and arm throw, and she's very good looking. And I think that's about the extent of it, man. And I mean, you know, that's a little tongue in cheek. She does have, you know, man, she was getting up some sidekicks to the head against Marina the last time. And when she did get on top, Marina could not get back up from bottom. Even when uh karate hottie fight Yoani on Jacek, she took her back at one point in that fight. But besides having those, that one big moment, Marina Rodriguez, the volume difference is insane. The length, the reach, the distance. If Marina can just keep this on the outside, she's going to, cover this price tag and then some and i'm even considering laying the minus 300 straight because like i said go watch that last fight i mean it's pure domination until the fourth round there's no fourth round here but then again no two fights are ever alike and you know for a fact michelle is probably gonna have to make some adjustments and she's probably gonna try to get this fight to the ground a lot earlier than she did last time but on the other side of things you know marina knows hey the one area michelle has success minus a couple sidekicks here and there was when she got on top of me with a very unorthodox takedown, no less Brandon. And she was able to hold her down the entire time. So I think this fight is very black and white. This one is, um, you know, it's easy to say striker versus grappler in the Gamrot versus physique fight, but there's a lot of nuances here. Whereas this one, I truly think is as black and white as do not let Michelle Watterson get on top of you for more than one round and you win this fight. So I think Marina Rodriguez is going to double her up on strikes for at least two of the rounds and hold on for dear life in that one round that she does get taken down. I think she covers this minus 300 here. Yeah, so with Marina Rodriguez, I bet her in her last fight against Jenny Roba, and I was there live. So you, you already know how loud I was. And that third round, man, she kicked it up a, a gear, man. I mean, she... She was coming at Jenny Roba, heard in there several times, but I know Jenny Roba has, she has really good wrestling and what she does produce is great top control. Um, The karate hottie, her fight style, I don't really think is a good look for judges. So if she is to win this fight, obviously, if you're having a karate hottie ticket, especially at plus 250, you want her to get Marina Rodriguez down right away because that's where she struggles and that's where she loses her minutes. But I mean, as you said, Dan, I mean, on the feet, Rodriguez, this is Rodriguez all day. And I actually uh, backed Watterson Gomez against uh, Pinero in her last fight at plus 150. 
And I thought I was on the right end of the bet. I kind of thought I won. I rewatched it. I thought I won too. But, you know, they gave the decision to Panero. Panero's younger. You know, she's probably get, she's a pretty good fighter. So it's also entertaining to watch too. And, you know, I with this fight, you know, it's just minus 300 on Marina Rodriguez. It just scares me because I lost money on her in her last fight. But if I didn't lose money on her last fight, I probably honestly would be parlaying her here. Just because I don't like the Karate Hotties output. She's now 37, and Rodriguez is 36, too. So they're literally just only one age apart. So I don't really think the age difference is really that crazy here. I just think it's the reach. I think it's the volume output. And it's just a real question. Can can the Karate Hottie get this fight to the ground and hold her? Because she was able to get Lemos down. She was able to get Rodriguez down late in the fight. And, you know, her last... Her last, like, six fights, like, her split decision win against Angela Hill and her, basically, in her last, like, six fights, that's her only win is a split decision against Angela Hill. So, you know, it, you got to be a little bit careful betting a girl like the Karate Hottie, but when you're betting her, you want her at a, a heavy plus money because that's where she's at her most live. That's where she could potentially cover her price. And, you know, if, if Rodriguez can't get the fight down, I mean, if she can't uh, stop the takedowns, you know, it, it's, it's a close fight, but... I really do like Rodriguez here. I just can't get to her at minus 300, but I think this is a good bounce back fight for her. I think the UFC really wants her to bounce back in this one. And I think she's going to, I think she's going to win this one, man. I know Lemos was uh, able to get her down as well. And I even backed Rodriguez against uh, Lemos, man. So I'm just really bad with Marina Rodriguez fights, honestly. So that's why I'm staying away. But yeah, man, um, hopefully I don't say she wins, and if you take her, she loses, but I'm picking her to win, man. Um, I think Marina Rodriguez wins by decision, and I think it's a unanimous decision, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I just think that, you know, Verna Janjidova has a completely different level of oh, yeah. takedown ability, and, you know, she's a high-level black belt on the mat. Michelle does tend to get at least one takedown per fight, but not much more. She's, like, on the way shorter side super low volume marina's got to keep that distance and if she does i think that she's going to be lighting her up at times and double her up on on strikes every single round yeah. so if she gives up two takedowns then we're fucked but uh it's, besides that yeah. I, my bad i mean to interrupt you but what it is too though is like on the combination output too it's like you know for a fact when they're standing and when they're just trading in combinations that Rodriguez is going to be landing with three to four, and the Karate Hottie is going to be just be landing one. So, yeah, dude. I mean, it, it really should be her here. I mean, maybe her minus three and a half. Like, honestly, maybe minus three and a half could be a good way to bet her because if she stops the takedowns, dude, I, I think she 30-27s her, man. But I can't bet a Marina Rodriguez fight again, man. I, I got to lay off and respect my money. <laughs> the only reason I'd be worried about the three and a half as opposed to money line is because – Let's say she cleanly wins the first two, and then the third round she gets laid on. Then I'm going to be really fucking pissed, you know? So that that's my hesitation. But, yeah, yeah. but I got Marina here. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Brian Battle. He's 9-2, and two, taking on A.J. Fletcher, who's 10-2. and two. Currently, they got it, Brian Battle, minus 190. The comeback on A.J. Fletcher is plus 165. So... I think there's a hell of a fight right here. Uh, Brian Battle is coming off a devastating knockout win against Gabe Green. I was actually in attendance. It was in Charlotte. It was like a homecoming for Brian Battle. And, you know, Gabe Green goes full Cody Garbrandt, full kamikaze suicide mission on him. And Battle made him pay, man. And, uh, man, the crowd erupted 
when that happened. It was a beautiful moment. And Fletcher, man, he's a young kid. He's a stocky guy, but he's got like the shortest reach in the division. So I know we're going to mention how battle has a 10 inch reach advantage, but the thing is everybody's got a 10 inch reach advantage over Fletcher. So he's used to that kind of thing uh, at this point. Right. And let me just say one other thing. I know there's a big criticism on Fletcher's cardio and I don't think it's a matter of cardio. Look at the shape he's in. He's in good shape. It's a matter of pacing. The guy goes balls to the wall. Well, he did this camp at, in Colorado and Denver, you know, with the factory X guys. So at least, you know, if cardio truly is an issue, at least we know he's addressing it. So what do you think about this fight? Yeah. So I'm on the Fletcher side here. Um, this is actually one of the point spreads I get. I, I took, I took the plus three and a half at minus 145. I just really like Fletcher here, dude. I like his boxing. Like, as I said on Twitter, like people were like, you really think Fletcher's the better boxer than battle. And yeah, I do. I don't really like battle striking, if I'm going to be quite honest with you guys. Like, he's always on his back foot. The guy literally has a reach advantage and kind of in, in, like, some of his fights in his past couple of fights, and he's just backing up, and he's just kicking, and he's not really throwing his hands. When he throws his hands, he's basically, like, waiting to counter you when you overextend on your combinations, and I really like uh, Fletcher's pressure, man. I mean, to say that he has bad cardio, I don't want people saying he has bad cardio. The guy fought in elevation and almost finished one of the more durable welterweights like even losa like losa is extremely goddamn durable and fletcher almost got him out of there he went like a bat out of hell and tried to get him out of there and he he gassed himself out and losa was able to take him down and win a couple of minutes and i really like fletcher's uh wrestling as well i think he has great wrestling um i like his control i think he's very explosive as well he's very explosive with the double legs and when you just watch brian battle when he gets taken down he literally just gets ran through on every takedown like he doesn't fight the hands. Whenever you get a hold of this guy and get an underhook, he goes flying. He goes for a ride. What I do respect what battle is, is his get-up game. I think the guy does get back up. I think he manages his cardio pretty well. But I really think Fletcher is addressing that. And as you said, Dan, his pace, he pushes a crazy pace. But what I think why he kind of gasses with his pace is because he's putting just like he's so brolic and short for the division with his reach that he packs so much muscle and I like now that he's at Colorado, especially uh, especially at Factory X, because he's training in elevation, and he literally has fought in elevation before in Utah at 4,400 feet. So this guy basically has fought at high elevation. He's now training in elevation, and people are saying that, like, Battle's going to have the better cardio. Yeah, Battle's going to have the better cardio, but, like, how can you basically go off this guy's last three fights and enlist him as a heavy favorite here? Like, he knocks out Gabe Green in 14 seconds. I had a bet on Gabe Green. I mean, I don't know what the hell Gabe Green was doing there. Fakhradinov, he got 50-45. He couldn't stop one takedown. What I would say would battle in that fight is he tried to get a ninja choke like he exactly did against Petrovsky. He went for the same exact choke right up against the fence where he kind of got lazy. And if you could tell with Fletcher's wrestling sometimes, he does get lazy when he gasses. He had his neck sticking out against Losa. Losa didn't pull for a guillotine. And he do that with battle, especially with a 10-inch reach advantage. Battle's going to try to go for a front choke. But, like, even when you watch the Trayshawn Gore fight, like, Trayshawn Gore was throwing such less output, and he was just putting him on the back foot the whole time. And it was like, you could really have scored it for any other guy. But Battle was able to pressure him in the third round because Gore was able to gas. And Gore's still green in MMA. And I don't really think Gore has a good surrounding camp around him like Fletcher does. I really like where, Fred, uh, where Fletcher's coming from especially training with Poirier for a while. Like he was literally Poirier's sparring partner going into the Gacy fight. The guy, the guy was literally uh, sparring with Poirier. So I, I like Fletcher here, dude. I was a little shocked with the line. I was going to take the plus 185 early, 
because I taped this fight early, but I wanted to see what they were going to do to three and a half bet because I could see Fletcher tiring out in the third round, maybe dropping the third round. But man, I, I think he wins these first two rounds. I think he wins a bunch of minutes. I think he gets ground control. I think he actually hurts Battle in the first couple of rounds. I think he's going to close the distance. And Brian Battle hates pressure, man. He hates pressure. And he gets a 40-second knockout against Sato. And then he gets a 14-second knockout against um against Gabe Green. And, and beats Trayshawn Gordon. Gets 50-45 by Fakhradinov. 30-24. Yeah, 30-24. I mean... And even Petrovsky, we know Petrovsky, especially in the fighter house, dude, we know that guy. He was supposed to win it all, too, but that guy had no damn cardio, no cardio, especially in the fighter house. And I don't think Fletcher's going to gas out here, so I think Fletcher's going to push the pace on him. I think he's going to close the distance. I think he's going to mix in the takedowns. I think he's going to win moments on the feet. I think he's going to hurt battle, and I honestly see him ground and pounding him in the late of the second round, dude. So I'm picking AJ Fletcher by second round knockout. And I honestly think he dominates Brian battle here, dude. So give me AJ Fletcher by second round knockout ground and pound. Yeah. Uh, my thing with Fletcher is he's just a kid. He was born in 1997. Show me a little bit more maturity, you know, show me that, you know, you truly are taking things seriously. Well, guess what? He went to Colorado for this camp. If cardio was the big issue. I mean, I don't, I can't think of a better place to go than Denver. To kind of, you know, and it's not like he went there for like a week and then acted like he, you know, like like he did some, you know, big thing that he needs to be patted on the back for. He went there for like two months, you know, so he, he actually really took this seriously. He like lived in a fighter house and he's shown glimpses in every single fight. I mean, the Matthew Semmelsberger fight, man, he put it on him in that first round and, you know, he landed four takedowns that third round. I thought was very, very close. And Semmelsberg is an experienced guy. The next fight against Angelusa, I bet Angelusa had dog money. That fight was in elevation. And man, first couple, that fight was a very back and forth um, roller coaster type fight. And at first, I'm like, man, this kid Fletcher's looking good. Then Angelusa starts taking over a little bit. Then in that second round, Fletcher almost had him out, man. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's just been one of those things where like he's going to put it together one day. Like, he's just young. He's just a kid. But once he finally shows that little bit of maturity, I think he can win some fights in that U in the UFC. Um, had a very nice guillotine against Themba, who's a very physical guy, who's African. You already know how physical that – you know that means that you're a physical guy. Um, and now he knows he belongs. He got that first win out the way. Battle is a very beatable guy. Battle's a tough guy. Battle's got great cardio. And if you're not quite ready for the UFC – or you fight him like a total idiot like Gabe Green did, then okay, battle, you know, battle can beat some guys. But like when you watch these fights that battle's been having, like the Trey Sean fight, dude, Trey Sean was more, and Trey Sean's a guy that's from my scene. Trey Sean was like, what, three and O at the time as a pro? Yeah. <laughs> like, and Trey Sean could have won that fight. He just didn't yeah. uh, push on the, on the gas enough, you know? He kind of was more interested in talking and showboating and kind of being an idiot out there. But I think Trey Sean was, you know, a little bit more maturity easily wins that fight. You look at the Fakhardina fight, and I know when, when people hear me say this, they're going to be like, are you comparing AJ Fletcher to Renat? No, no, I'm not. But check this out. Renat got a 30-24, right? Renat 
took him down seven times. Renat dropped him. Renat did all these things. Whenever he wanted to take him down, he took him down. Whenever he wanted to piece him up, he pieced him up. I don't need a 30-24 at plus 165 odds. I don't need a 30-25. I don't need a 30-26. Brandon, I don't even need a 30-27. I just need a 29-28. Get me to a split decision, and there's value at these plus 165 odds on, on A.J. Fletcher. If you want to be the first guy to finish him, hey, I'll take it. But all I need here is a 29-28. You win a split decision, e even lose a split decision, and there's uh, and there's value at these plus 165 odds because Brian Battle, he backs up every single fight. Like I said, if you're Takashi Sato, who's completely washed up, or you're Gabe Green, who fought him like Cody Garbrandt uh, you know, on, on some kamikaze mission, then okay, you deserve to get knocked out. But Fletcher consistently hits takedowns. He goes forward. He's explosive. Maybe he needs to tone it down a bit with the spin kicks and stuff like that. Yeah. But that's what that's what comes with maturity. And the fact that he was willing to get out of his comfort zone, go to elevation, I think it's a winnable fight. Is he ready right now? That's what we're gambling on, right? But at yeah. these odds, I think I'm willing to find out. So I haven't bet anything yet, like I said, but this is one of the dogs that I'm eyeing. And I'll pick him out right. I think he's the better guy. Just it's just gonna piss me off when he wins like seven minutes of, of this fight and then death gases or something like that. But man, he's addressed it. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully this is the best version of him we've seen yet. And I think it's a fight he can win. So at the very least, I think it should be lined closer. So I'm gonna go with Fletcher here. I I think this fight should be pick'em, man. I really do because Fletcher was literally a minus 170 favorite against Losa, man. So like the fact that like. Brian Battle opened minus 225 to me, especially after a 14-second knockout. As you said, Gabe Green coming out like Kamikaze is is pretty crazy, man. The bookies think pretty highly on uh, on Brian Battle, and now we're kind of thinking pretty low on uh, Fletcher because he just finished Garimbo, and they're really thinking that, well, Garimbo doesn't have a lot of power. He's striking isn't as good as Battle's, and yeah, the bookies price, they're pricing that a pretty high price tag, and they think Battle wins, but yeah, I, I like Fletcher here as well, so... Yeah, give me the dog as well, man. I'm going dog hunting this week, man. Now, next up in the featherweight division, kicking off the car, we got another banger. We got Charles Air Jordan. He's 14, 6, and 1, taking on Ricardo Ramos, who's 16 and 4. Currently, they got it. Charles Jordan, minus 135. The comeback on Ricardo Ramos is plus 115. This is a hell of a fight, man. I mean, both guys extremely talented. How do you kind of see this one going down? Because I, I have a feeling this is not going to be boring at all. Yeah, so I'm on violence here, man. I I think this fight's going to be violent from the very start of it. So I'm on the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 125 on DraftKings. Um, Ricardo Hamos, man, and every fight that I've watched Hamos in his round one, he comes out like a bat out of hell, man. I mean, you even go watch the Journey Newsom fight back in uh, 2018. Newsom taking that fight on short notice. Hamos came out very early, tried to finish him, and... If you even rewatch that second round, man, like Journey Newsom um, actually gets a really tight guillotine on him because Hamos was uh, eating a lot of leg kicks. He wasn't really checking the leg kicks on Newsom, and Newsom almost got him out of there with a guillotine. And we saw that uh, Charles Jordan was able to guillotine uh, Lando Venata as he shot a takedown as well. Actually, Jordan dropped him, and then uh, Jordan went for the guillotine against Venata and got him out of there. Um, Hamos has pretty good pressure. Um, I mean, they DC compared uh, Hamos's pressure to Paulo Costa, to Paul Costa, so that just kind of really shows the pressure and what this Hamos kick could bring. And 
You know, I think he's pretty good with his hands, but re really where he excels at range is with his leg kicks. I think he has uh, good body kicks. He throws a lot of spinning kicks. I mean, just go rewatch the Danny Chavez fight. I mean, he comes out against Danny Chavez in a minute. And, like, honestly, it was just reminding me of Daniel Lacerda against Victor Altamirano or, like, Hamos was just literally running at him and just throwing a bunch of spinning kicks. I literally think I counted. He threw five spinning kicks up until that attempt where he threw that spinning back elbow. And, I mean, Hamos just knocked out has three knockouts with spinning attacks at the UFC level. So, I mean, it just really shows that the versatile striking this guy has. But, you know, when you go watch the Tukagov fight, like, Tukagov is able to beat him with the left hook, and Hamos was just backing up for the first two rounds. And Hamos didn't come out aggressive in that fight because I really think that he was at the, he thought he was at a threat of getting taken down. You know, when Habib Nurmagomedov is on the other corner, you obviously are going to feel the threat that you're going to get wrestled. And, um, you know, you go watch the fight against Algeo. Like, I mean, Hamos literally, his back takes are excellent. Um, he really just tries to take the back and he tries to submit you. Um, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, national champion, I know, as well. Has seven submissions, finishing three of his four losses. Um, been finished three times at the UFC level. I think all of them actually come in the first round. And what do we know, like a guy like Charles Jordan, I mean, he just gets better as the fight goes, man. I mean, when you progressively watch this guy, from the Marcelo Rojo fight back in 2021, leading up to the Andre Yule fight, to the Shane Burgos fight, to the Nathaniel Wood fight. Like, this guy's his volume increases in the couple first rounds. And with Burgos, like, Burgos was able to get that body triangle on him and hold him down. He actually almost submitted him. He had a very tight squeeze on the neck where Keith Peterson, man, Keith Peterson was actually almost stopped the fight at the end of the second round where he was about to actually call it, but Jordan was able to not tap. We know Jordan is tough as hell. He's probably not going to tap anything. You're probably going to have to, he, he tapped out to Julian Arosa on a Darsh choke. He wasn't going to tap out again. But, you know, I think this is a good fight for both guys. Um, I really see Hamos coming out in the first round, really trying to get the grappling going early, as we saw in the Algeo fight. And as I said, in the Tukagov fight, when Ramaga met off in the corner and Tukagov's wrestling, I didn't really think that was the game plan from Hamos. And you saw it in this last fight as well. His, he didn't go to the wrestling at all. And, Hamos had a horrific weight cut. I know he missed by like seven pounds coming in against Lingo. Just such a winnable fight. And now the UFC is basically giving him uh, Charles Jordan. They're like, yeah, well, we gave you a winnable fight in Austin Lingo. Now you want to miss weight by seven pounds. Well, here you go. Now we're going to give you Charles Jordan, who literally wants this fight. So I don't really know if Hamos has wanted this fight. We haven't seen Hamos in the cage now for a year and a half. So I don't know how his cardio is going to come back as well because the guy does fatigue. Um, so I'm picking Charles Jordan to win here. I think he's going to knock out Hamos in the second round. Um, I love his knees to the body. I love his boxing. And what I was looking for his tape, Dan, is does this guy go to the body? Is he really good in the clinch? It, like, can he stop takedowns? And he was getting taken down with that same outside leg trip almost every single time against Nathaniel Wood. I think his camp has addressed that. He's 27 years old. I know he's taking this, like, fully time seriously now. I know someone, shout out to Dravi MMA because he's actually in Canada and he actually is pretty close to Charles Jordan. He was watching a bunch of interviews on him and he was telling me that he he's he, he's taking this like, he's been taking it like really serious his, his last two fights. And dude, I, the Crone Gracie fight, he's just trying to stay safe against Crone Gracie, man. I laid the juice on the under two and a half there at minus 180. Terrible bet. It was a terrible bet. But man, I mean, I'm getting minus 125 and a killer be killed fighter. I think Carl Hamels is gassing against Bill Algio and Bill Algio, who I doesn't think have the power and has the output of Jordan in the late rounds. And you're giving me a fight doesn't go at minus 125 when a guy like Hamels comes out in round one, like a bat of hell and gasses, especially in the apex cage with Charles Jordan in round two and round three, the way that guy fights. 
Yeah, dude, this fight's gonna be fucking violent. It's my favorite fight on the card, and I can't wait for this one, man. I can't hear. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this one, man. Sorry, I took so long. It's okay. No, I think Ricardo Ramos is a very talented individual, and he's been for a long time. Back in 2016, it was like I think looking for a fight or one of those early shows that Dana had to like scout prospects, and like Dana was front row there to see like the 20 year old phenom uh ricardo ramos right and ricardo ramos gets choked out in the first round by this kid named manny vasquez right so that's the first time i saw him but since then you know he rebounded against the guy that o'malley knocked out on contender series and then so he only had that one win then gets signed right away because the ufc wanted to sign him off the jump they they heard about this young phenom, and that's what he is. He is a young phenom because from time to time, like you said, he's got two wins in the UFC via spinning back elbow. <laughs> you understand what that's I mean? Crazy. And then when he takes guys' backs, I mean, he resembles like a young Charles Oliveira. Um, also, he's got a lot more experience now. The Bill Algio fight, he went out there, landed eight takedowns, which was a big step in the right direction. My issue with Ricardo Ramos is similar to a young Charles Oliveira. He's a little bit flaky. He's a little bit inconsistent. And it's one of these things where one fight, he looks like, man, this guy is going to be a future top 10 guy. And I honestly do think he's going to be a future top 10 guy. It's just the maturity needs to catch up. Like I heard after the fight against Zahabi where he knocked him out with that spinning back elbow, and it was at like Madison Square Garden, I heard like, you know, I don't know if this is true, but word on the street was this kid stayed in New York for like four to six months, was just partying for four to six months straight after that spinning back elbow he had against Zahabi. Like, that, you know, and a lot of these fights, like the Kyung Ho Kang fight, where like it seemed like, you know, Ricardo's kind of coasting and Kyung Ho Kang is like using max effort and Ricardo's still squeaking by with a split because that's how damn talented this kid is like i've heard that in the gym like he came to atlanta for a couple weeks and uh guys i know with way worse records than, than ricardo were, were tapping him out in the gym like i heard he's not exactly the hardest worker but he's like the most talented guy if that, if that makes sense right and you see that in his fights i mean when this guy is the hammer god damn is he a hammer right and i hope that one day the you know the mental catches up with the physical because when it does look the fuck out like he's got everything you want i mean he's got the size he's good everywhere i mean on the feet on the mat i mean he's got everything you want he's still only 28 years old it's just you know when you get a fight against austin lingo at 145 pounds and you weigh in at 155 and, and that's not like and if it was just a one-time thing okay whatever but it was a one-time thing in terms of missing weight, but but it wasn't a one-time thing in terms of flaking out. Like, what happened in that Lerone Murphy fight? What happened in that Saeed Nurmagomedov fight? And I actually thought he showed some maturity in the Zubera Tukuga fight. You know, he lost the first two rounds, came on hard in that third round, um, but you also got to take into consideration that Zubera post-USADA. Uh, so, to me, I'm not sure when this kid's going to finally put it together. The last time we saw him, you know, he had zero respect for Danny Chavez. So like you said, he comes out there and throws like 10 spins in 10 seconds because, you know, he, he, he gave no fucks about a guy like Danny Chavez. And when he sees no threat whatsoever, he's going to do stuff like that. But he's there's going to be a threat coming back at him with Charles Jordan. 
And Charles Jordan is a slow starter. He's one of these guys that you'll circle on the outside, kind of see what you bring to the table. He'll throw a lot of kicks to your arm, kind of get you to possibly possibly break your arm, but at least get you to drop your hands. Then he'll try to find something upstairs. I think his grappling has been getting better. Not the takedown defense per se, but he's uh, he's very good at not getting submitted. Um, and you talk about the Erosa fight. Listen, man. That was a fully locked in Darce choke, and I know firsthand that one of those chokes, it doesn't matter how tough you are. When that shit's locked in, it's either tap or nap, and, and that's just the bottom line, so I don't really hold that against him. And we also know with Julian Arosa, it's the same story every single fight. Everybody drops Julian Arosa in the first round, but the guys that don't finish Julian Arosa after dropping him always end up losing. I don't know what it is, but like, look at Sean Woodson, right? He drops Julian Arosa, doesn't finish him, he ends up getting finished. Same thing with Jordan. Um, Nate Landwehr drops fucking Julian Russell in like the first 10 seconds. He ends up getting finished. It's crazy how it works. So for, for all the fighters watching, when you get Julian Russell hurt, close the show. Because for whatever reason, this guy will come back if you if you don't close the show after you initially drop him. But um, with Charles Jordan, I think that, you know, we were speaking about maturity on the uh, on the other side. I think we're seeing some maturity from him. I know the Nathaniel Wood fight, you know, it wasn't the best look. I also think that that was a really bad matchup for him. But I thought prior to that, I thought he arguably beat Shane Burgos. Like, if we're judging fights based off damage, then he clearly beat Shane Burgos. He beat the shit out of Shane Burgos. And that was one of the first fights where we started to think that, hey, man, maybe Shane Burgos is slowing down a bit, you know. Um, maybe Shane Burgos isn't quite, you know, a future top 10 contender like we once thought maybe shane burgo and i love shane burgos really nice guy love his fighting style came to my gym super cool guy but you know i bet on clay collard at dog odds against uh shane burgos recently right and um that crone gracie fight i thought he showed a lot of maturity i know crone gracie fought like an absolute idiot i know that crone gracie fought like it was like i was there live man they were all oh, man he was getting every word thrown out in that because i was in section 12 dude they Everyone was throwing words at him, man, and the corner as well. Yeah, uh, like he was fighting like it was UFC one, like it was UFC two, <laughs> like it, it was ridiculous, man. But listen, Charles, he could have he could have been stupid about it. He like, but he didn't. He came in with the right game plan. He was disciplined for three straight rounds, and I think he's had some moments here and there, like a lot of these fights, kind of slow starts, but he he tends to turn it on in that second and third round. And here, I mean, as long as he doesn't get choked out early, I don't think he's going to get spinning back elbow knocked out. I mean, if he does, holy shit. It's just you can't ever count out Ramos because, like I said, he really is that talented. And one day I do think he's going to put it together and I do think he's going to make a run. But right now I think that Charles is is a little bit more consistent. I know that sounds kind of weird saying that, you know, considering he's one and two in his last three. But you also got to look at who he's been fighting. Um, so I'm gonna go with Charles Jordan. Like I know what I'm getting out of Charles Jordan, whereas I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna get the phenom Ricardo Ramos, or I don't know if I'm gonna get the Ramos where one little hint of adversity and he's ready to go home. You know, like I said, like a old Charles Oliveira, where like you remember, like one fight he get a cap slicer, the next fight, you know, he'd be getting knee barred. You know, st stuff like that. Like he'd be getting choked out by Anthony Pettis at 145. Like. Uh, He'd miss weight by 11 pounds against Ricardo Ramos and, and Ricardo Lamas, excuse me, and get choked out there too after dominating the first round. So, and then eventually the mental caught up with Charles and he went on that title run and look at him now. 
I'm waiting for that to happen with Ricardo. And once it does happen, we're going to ride that wave. But until that happens, I got to go with Charles Jordan in this spot. And I'm going to pick him to win here. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got the main event of the prelims. We got Miles Johns. He's 13 and 2, taking on Dan Argueta, who's 10 and 1. It says 9 and 1, but between you and me, he's 10 and 1 because um, Ronnie Lawrence had his hand up ready to tap. And then yeah. Keith, Keith Peterson just hopped in a second too early, but that fight was all but over. Currently, they got it. Dan Argueta, minus 170. The comeback on Miles Johns is plus 145. I know you have a bet on this fight. I don't. So take it away, my friend. Yeah, so uh, this was actually the first fight I ended up taping because I looked at the line and it kind of shocked me because I did bet Dan Argetta at plus 175 against Ronnie Lawrence and had the submission at plus 1,200. Thank you, Keith Peterson. But uh, yeah, I, I really like Miles Johns here, man. He, he's, he's more battle-tested. He has terrific takedown defense. You know, he was literally on the, um, the I think it was his high school wrestling team. He was literally uh, a captain as a, a ninth grader, so... I mean, the guy has the background, and you know when you look. Wait, at sorry, the guy, sorry, like, sorry. Who, who was the captain at nine? I think uh, Miles John. Miles Johns was. Oh no shit! That's captain. badass. Yeah, he was a captain as a freshman with his wrestling team. I think it was uh, Chapman. I think it was called. But dude, the guy is really good boxing, man. I really love his boxing. I love his takedown defense, dude. And what the guy really does bring is power. And I know Argetta's gonna bring the pressure. He's gonna bring the volume and his takedowns, like. I don't think Argetta's wrestling is honestly all that great of what people are saying. Like, you go rewatch that Diego Silva fight, man. Diego Silva's takedown defense on the regional scene. I mean, Augusta Wynn can take down Diego Silva. And what is Diego Silva able to do in the first three rounds? He's able to hurt Argetta. Argetta's a minus 500 favorite, guys, coming into this fight. Hurting him with a bunch of knees in the clinch. Argetta's blocking punches with his face. And... Diego Silva was probably up 2-1, and then Argetta was able to break him. It was a five-round fight. Diego Silva was just playing off his back. He ended up gassing. And, you know, when I, a guy like Miles Johns, you know, I, I like his power as well. The guy's really explosive. And for Argetta to get the takedowns, he's going to have to try to uh, close distance. And he closes distance and just eats shots with his face, man. I mean, even like Damon Jackson, I know he's able to wrestle him for the first two couple of rounds and hold them. But Damon Jackson was so tired. And what do we know with Jackson in round three is he was piecing up Dan Argetta in the third round. Like this guy was piecing him up in the third round. And this was Damon Jackson tired. And Miles Johns is a really good counter striker. He's going to be landing the bigger shots. Miles Johns is still eight and oh in decisions. Like the guy is eight and oh in decisions. And this is Argetta's biggest test to date. And Miles Johns, man, and I'm going to say this now, guys, I'm very high on Garrett Armfield, and I think Garrett Armfield is a great all-around fighter. I think Garrett Armfield has very, very, very underrated boxing, and I think he's going to be a problem in the division. And Miles Johns has been putting in a lot of work with him. I think Miles Johns' hands are going to be very well here. And with the Vince Morales fight, he took the Vince Morales fight on two weeks' notice and didn't even have his normal corner in his corner. He didn't have his coaches. He literally had his dad and his brother. So I see people giving him a lot of shit for that because he was so low output. But he did what he had to do. He won that fight. And I put one unit at Miles Johns at plus 185, man. I, I just So I have 100 of him, 185 on him. I, ju I just didn't understand the line at all. I also have his KO, uh, 0.25 units, 25, I think, to win 115 at plus 450. 
So, yeah, if Miles Johns, which I think he's going to do, win this fight, and uh, he's going to win by knockout, I'll win a total of 3.1 units. I just don't think this is a good fight for Argetta, man. I think this is a huge step up for him. I really like where Miles Johns is at. He's at the bigger gym than Argetta. I think Argetta's still training at, like, a pretty small gym as well. Like, he's not on a platform gym like Johns. And this is – Johns is getting a full camp for this, man. I I really like Miles Johns here, man. I mean, even with Castaneda, people were like, well, Castaneda was able to take him down. He, he took him down and submitted him. John Castaneda didn't take him down. He hurt him with body shots, and he kind of just shoved him to the ground. And that's where Miles Johns was being broken because he was coming into his last couple of fights previous to that getting knockout wins. He wanted to sit on the back foot. He wanted to counter with the right hand, and you can't do that against John Casadeda. And I feel like learning against a guy who's going to pressure, like like Argetta, is kind of the pressure that John Casadeda brings brings with his hands, not with his wrestling. So I think Miles Johns is very prepared for this. He's seen guys like Argetta, and, you know, him as a dog, even at plus 150, dude, I'm still shocked with him as a dog at plus 150. So give me Miles Johns here, man. I think he knocks out Dan Argetta. I don't know which round. And, dude, the guy's a no in decisions. The guy's never lost a decision and still holds a split decision win over Adrian Yanez, where I went back and watched that fight, dude, and he had a lot of good moments in that fight, man. And the guy's defensive wrestling is great, man. If Argetta can't get these takedowns and they're going to get stuffed, Miles Johnson is going to land the bigger shots. He's the better striker. He's the better boxer. Has great takedown defense. Has faced a way better competition. And yeah, I think Miles Johns win this, wins this fight. And I think he wins by a knockout, man. I think he's going to cover that dog money price tag, man. Wow. A lot of conviction. You love to see it. And uh, I mean, I think you got a great price. And, you know, he does have 92% takedown defense. So, uh, you know, there, there's that. But man, I think Miles Johns has been a massive letdown since he's been in the UFC. Like you talk about the Yanez fight. That's a great win on his resume. Now let's put context. The reason he won that fight was because he buried his head in Yanez's crotch and avoided all the stand-up exchanges, which is smart. Why would you box with Yanez? But then you see his contender series fight. Dana White even called this guy a savage. And I thought that he was going to be one of these guys that was just like a real cerebral fighter used to train out of Fortis MMA, and I thought he was going to break a lot of guys with intelligence. Um, he's a very athletic guy. It's just – there's just not enough for me. We'll talk, we'll talk about Argueta in a second, but with Johns, like you watch that Cole Smith fight, and like it goes all three rounds. Johns only lands 31 significant. Gets his back taken for half that fight. Mario Bautista fight. I know Mario's a top 15 guy, but you know, Johns was a favorite in that fight. And Johns shat the bed in that fight. Only 13 strikes landed. Kevin Natividad fight gets to round three. Only 48 strikes landed. The the Anderson Dos Santos fight, he's, he put on his clinic, granted against a very old man, but still doesn't hit the 100 uh, strike mark for me. Castaneda dog walks him. And then the Vince Morales fight was on short notice. You're right. And James Krause wasn't in his corner, but like, bro, you're, you should be able to separate yourself from Vince Morales. Like Vince Morales is a can bro. Like Vin, what's Vince Morales's UFC record. Uh, like two, two and like seven or something. Like what is like it? Hold on. Six, right. It's three and one, two, three, four, five, six, three and six. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I think Vince Morales you know how we used to like to call uh, Austin Hubbard harmless Hubbard? Yeah. 
similar nickname for Vince Morales. I don't know. We got to come up with it, but harmless Morales, basically like I think Vince Morales, like, because when Johns came into the UFC, I was thinking this guy was going to be a future top 15 guy. Like I was like convinced of it. And it, so it's like when he wins fights, it's kind of minus the Dos Santos fight. That's the one time he really beat the shit out of somebody. It's just kind of like a cruise control kind of thing. Um, really low output but he's gets away with his athleticism maybe he's the harder hitter than a couple guys and he's got great takedown defense but man you couldn't distinguish yourself from vince morales bro i know it was short notice and i know all the ex external factors but that is not a good look i'm hoping he looks better here because man i am so pissed off that that barcelos fight got canceled because i was gonna go big on barcelos in that spot because that was one of those fights where I talk about it often. If you watch Barcelos versus Victor Henry, a fight that Barcelos lost in the individual rounds of Barcelos versus Henry, Barcelos landed more strikes in the individual rounds than Miles Johns has in any of his complete fights com combined, right? Right. So I thought that, that was going to be like a monster spot here against Argueta. It's unfortunate because, like you said, he blocks punches with his face, he also has super low output. And he's reliant on getting a lot of takedowns. So that's going to be kind of hard. So that's where I think that, you know, the opening price of like a pick em was probably accurate. So from a betting perspective, I think you did your job. But from a pick perspective, I'm not sure. Because I think guys that can push the pace on Miles Johns can beat him. Like, that's what you got to do. Like, Johns kind of has like that Woodley style. Where, like, if you, if you just want to, you know, have a low output fight with him, you're giving him every chance in the world. But if you really want to push that pedal and really make him work, that's where Miles Johns breaks. So I'm questioning, is Dan Argueta going to make him work? Dan Argueta's striking output is on the lower side. He blocks punches with his face. But can he uh, do something that a couple other guys we talked about on this card, Gamrot and Mitchell do, which is they might not get every takedown, but they attempt takedown after takedown after takedown, get you tired from defending them. And eventually when he finally does get on top of you, that's where he can do his work. So that's what I'd be worried about if I were you. Um, but I think you got a great price. I think you're on the right side in terms of, you know, the line. And that's all that matters at the end of the day as gamblers. I'm going to go on the opposite side as a pick, but I'm not betting it. I mean, like when this was announced, I was like, oh, I get to fade Miles Johns. But then I watched Dan Argueta. And I'm like, I don't know. Stylistically, he doesn't really do the things I, I want, you know, for someone to beat him. But he, he might be a little bit hungrier and might be willing to push a little harder. So I think that might get him over the edge. But I don't know. This might be sticky. And at, at plus, you said plus 185 is what you got? Yeah, I got plus 185. Yeah. I think it was September 12th I got it. Okay, yeah, like I don't foresee like a 3026 or something like that. Like, oh, right? no. No, uh, no, I'd be shocked if he did. I mean, it's probably yeah. 1 1 going to the third round or something. Who yeah. knows? Or um, I, I think John's knocks him out early, Dad. I really yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, listen, you got to trust your gut. Who gives a shit what I'm saying? Because uh, yeah. I'm not convicted on this. You are. So I hope for your sake that you're right. Because, um, you know, I don't know. It, it's just tough for yeah. me because. It's like, is Argueta going to push the pace necessary to break Johns, which is what you have to do to beat a guy like Miles Johns? And I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Argueta as a pick. So one of us is right here. 
but uh, I hope that uh, I hope you cash, man. It'd be nice to see you cash a big dog there. Oh yeah. Now next up in the welterweight division, we got Tim the Dirty Bird Means. He's thirty-two and fifteen, taking on Andre Fialu, who's sixteen and seven. Currently, they got it. Andre Fialu. It just depends where you look. Minus one sixty. The comeback on Tim Means is plus one forty. I also see some plus one fifties on Tim Means, and, and it's tough because, man, if like this was Tim Means a few years back, I'd a hundred percent bet him at these odds. Um, and not that Fialu like isn't coming off three straight knockout losses because he absolutely is. His confidence has to be down in the dumps. But both guys are coming off consecutive bad losses. But one's ten years younger than the other, and Means is a guy who's you know said, "I know I'm close to the end," and you know he's getting wobbled a lot more than he used to. Now, granted, I love his style. You know, he's got a very good parrying game. Throws his punches down the middle. Got good leg kicks. He's been mixing in takedowns a lot more these days. He's been there. He's done that. He's been he's been in there with everybody. He's a seasoned vet. I mean, how can you how can he not love the Dirty Bird? It's fucking Tim Means, man. He's been around the game a long, long time. You got to show a guy like that a lot of respect. It's just, you know, he's what is he getting close to forty now? Is he even forty yet? You know what I'm saying? And with Fialu, he's been knocked out his last three in a row. And I'm not going to be the guy that says, "Oh, but it was Muslim Salikov and and Joaquin Buckley." So, therefore, you know, therefore we can write it off. No, those were some brutal ass knockouts, man. And I'm not going to be the one that, you know, gives them a pass for it. But at the same time, both these guys are coming off brutal losses. One's 10 years younger and one still has aspirations of hanging at this level. The thing is, I think Means is the better fighter. Fialu, what he's known for, he's, the, he's an overhand right, left hook guy, and big leg kicks. That's what he brings to the table. Trains at Sanford. Has he let his uh, chin fully recovered since uh, that last one? I don't know. I don't know. This is tough. I really wish Means was a little bit younger because then I'd pick him for sure. Uh, but I'm going to go Fialu based on the youth. Adam says he just tuned in. Damn, you seem lethargic. Where's that energy we love from you? Do I seem lethargic? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. According to Adam. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought we were having a good discussion here. But, hey, Adam, I appreciate you tuning in, man. Uh, Brandon, what do you think about this fight? Yeah, so uh, I like Fialo here. Um I also like he's 10 years younger. I think he's the better striker. And what do we know about Tim Means? I mean, he at this age, he really relies on his pressure. I mean, go rewatch the Mike Perry fight. I mean, my goodness. I mean, what a banger that fight was in the Apex Center, man. Those guys were just trading in the pocket, man. And we know Mike Perry, he, he's durable and he's tough as hell. But I mean, I don't think it's going to happen here. But I mean, Mike Perry was able to get him down and he almost submitted him in the first round of that fight. And Means was just, he, he was just putting him on the back foot. The rest of that fight, man. And he was looking pretty good against Morono. He, he, you know, he was having some pretty good moments, but then he shot a takedown, and that's where he got his neck caught. So, yeah, you know, Fialo, he looked good against Buckley. Um, up until like they had a headbutt uh, collision, and I was actually on Buckley. I had him parlay with like a fight doesn't go from that week prior with Buckley's money line at minus one sixty five. And man, I was sweating that ticket because I was rewatching the fight. I honestly thought Fialo was was winning the fight, and there was a headbutt, and Fiala was like, no, 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 like, it's fine, let's keep fighting. And then what happens five seconds later, the guy gets head kicked, and he gets knocked out, man. So I feel like that was a pretty poor choice by Fiala to not take the time and try to recover because I feel like he was still wobbled off that headbutt. And, you know, against a guy like Salakov, to get breaking down against Salakov, like, especially kind of how low output he is, 
He was also able to get him down with like some like like Fiala was kind of trying to keep his balance, and then he kind of just fell over, and Sal Cobb was able to like win a, like I think a minute and a half of ground control in that first round. Um, he was going to the body a lot. And, you know, when you go to the Tim Means fight against Nicholas Dalby, against Dalby, who has great cardio, Tim Means, I think, landed, uh, like, I think 30, maybe 30, like, body strikes he landed. He was throwing a lot of kicks. He was throwing a lot of punches to the body as well. And, I mean, I I really like the under here just because on a stylistic standpoint, like, both guys are going to stand. They're going to train in the pocket. And I actually do think Fiala has pretty good takedown defense, man. I know he's, um, I know he's training. I forgot where he's training, but I know he's training Samper. at a very... Yeah, Stanford, my bad. He's training at Stanford, so the takedown for Fiallo is good. And, you know, Cormier, we obviously we hear it every single time Fiallo fights. like, yeah, Fiallo was able to take me down, and I can confirm it every single fight. Just go rewatch it because Cormier, I think, says it every time that he calls one of his fights. Um, But, yeah, so Fiallo, he, he's strong. You know, he, he has, I think his takedown defense is pretty good. I don't really think means transitioning to the wrestling basically kind of shows me that I don't really think he wants to trade on the feet that much anymore. He just kind of wants to win minutes. But I mean, man, like in this fight, you know, with the stylistic fight that he's getting, he knows that he's getting a guy in Fialo who gets, who, who gasses, he, he tends to gas and he kind of breaks. And if we know a guy like Tim means, man, he could eat the like couple of hard shots early, dude, he's going to keep walking through the pressure of Fialo. So I see an early finish from Fialo, or I kind of see a, a, a late finish from Tim Means, man. I really think Tim Means can finish this fight late and kind of break him, dude. So um, I know the fight doesn't go to decision is talk is chalky. It's like minus two seventy, but I think it's a really good parlay piece this week. But um, I'm picking Fialo to win. I know a lot of money is starting to come in on Tim Means. I think uh, Fialo is like minus one sixty now. I think he opened like minus two fifteen. So. A lot of people are going to take the mean side, but man, I don't think I could trust him means at 39. And because because he doesn't really move his head and he kind of relies on his chin, I don't really want to rely on his chin, especially with a guy who hits as hard as Fiala, where he comes out dangerous in the first minutes and where he can land leg kicks because means does really stand heavy on that lead leg with his pressure. So yeah, stylistically, I really like the fight doesn't go. I think this fight's going to be violent. I think it's going to be a banger and I'm picking Fiala to win by knockout here. Uh, what do you got here, Dan? Yeah, no, I mean, I would I just wish Tim Means wasn't 39, you know. I know. Because <laughs> I, I think that Tim Means would be parrying shots. He'd be uh popping Fialio's head back with straight punches, the jab, the cross, eventually mixing the hooks, leg kicks, knees, elbows, the the whole ordeal, right? Um, it's just man, means does not react well to taking shots these days like he used to. Not that Fialio does either. Uh Fialio is a kill or be killed kind of guy. And Tim Means is the better fighter here. It's just, does Tim Means still have that hardware he once did? I mean, I know I know he doesn't. We, we've seen that he doesn't. But Fialio is also, like I said, three straight knockout losses. I even bet Salikov against him. Um, it, it's just tough because I don't trust either guy, right? And uh, it's like you'd want to take the dog money, but the dog money is on a guy who's like one or two fights away from retirement, right? Yeah. So, Probably a Fialu win here, and then we look to fade him as next fight against like a young gun. Um, yeah, but I'll be happy to see uh, Tim Means get it done. You know, I mean, how can you not love the Dirty Bird? I remember when this motherfucker was fighting at 155. Go, go check out what Tim Means did to Bobby Green back in the day. For all you old school fans, if you want to see a beatdown, go go watch Tim Means versus Bobby Green. Uh, I, I know a lot of y'all haven't seen that. It's an absolute beatdown. It's like a a brutal beatdown. 
Um, and all love to Bobby Green. I'm a huge fan of his too, but just had to bring that up. But yeah, I'm gonna go Fialu, but I mean, not confidently, not confidently. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Jacob Malkoon. He's seven and two, taking on Cody Brundage, who's eight and five. Currently, they got it Malkoon minus 600. The comeback on Brundage is plus 425. I'm surprised they gave Brundage another chance, man. I mean, Brundage, like, talking to, talk about shitting the bed, dude. Like, Brundage last fight against Cedriquez Duma. Honestly, like, his last three fights have been absolutely pathetic. Um, and even the fights he's won have been like, you know, I don't like to say the whole meme this, meme that, but they've been meme fucking comebacks, man. Like, Dolce Lung Jambula outstruck him 29 to 4, was beating the living shit out of him. Cody was looking for a way out, and then Dolce uh, shot head first into a guillotine. It looked like Treshawn Gore was about to put it on him. Then he, he threw the same kick three times in a row, got caught. Nice shot by Brundage. So check this out. In that Cedriquez Dumas fight, right? Um, so guess how many strikes, don't even look it up. Guess how many strikes significant Cody landed in the three-round fight against Cedricos Duma? If I can recall, I think he landed six. Okay, he, six. Final answer? Yeah. He landed three strikes in a three-round fight. I gave him a look. I gave him more Cedricos Duma. Now check this out. You think that's bad, right? You think three strikes is bad, right? Like That's, that's horrible, right? Guess how many strikes he landed against Mikhail Oleksychuk? Two? I would have to guess lower, right? Zero. Man. Zero. <laughs> now, in his fight against Rodolfo Vieira, where he actually landed a knockdown in that fight. Give him credit. Yeah. He, he landed a knockdown, right? Guess how many strikes he landed in that fight? Eight? Ten. I'm so close. <laughs> so when you talk about... And then his highest he's ever landed, right? Which is a three-round fight against Nick Maximov. He landed a grand total of 28 strikes. So you cannot rely on this guy for output. Um, occasionally, you can maybe maybe he'll get a takedown or two. But this guy is the definition of a front runner. This guy is a quitter. Um, this guy's got zero business in the UFC. And what's interesting is that I heard in the gym. He's like one of the best guys in the gym. And you hear about those stories often where these guys are world beaters in the gym, but for whatever reason, they just can't put it together under the bright lights. And the times that this guy has put it together under the bright lights, I mean, he runs it back with Dolce. I got Dolce. He runs it back with Trey Sean. I got Trey Sean. So as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I don't need to go on a fucking rant about a minus 600 favorite, but this line is justified. And Listen, Jacob Malkoon, he might not be the most athletic. You know, he might not be a guy that you look at him and you're, and you're like, oh, that's that's an ultimate fighter right there. But, man, he's got that Mamba mentality. Like, if you go on his Instagram, he's posting all kinds of quotes because you got to. When you're an unathletic guy and your game is predicated on just insane tenacity, will to win, and check this out. We were talking about takedown numbers. Okay, against Razak Al-Hassan, he lands eight takedowns, which already, there, we can just leave it at that. He landed eight takedowns. But guess how many he attempted? 24, Brandon. When you can attempt 24 takedowns, these are the kind of guys I like. Against A.J. Dobson, he lands six takedowns, which, again, already six takedowns landed. Hey, 
That's all you had to tell me. He attempted 16. This guy is nonstop against Brendan Allen. Lands seven takedowns against Brendan Allen. Attempts 14. Now, I didn't think he won that fight, but listen, Brendan Allen was a massive favorite in that spot, and in no way, shape, or form did Brendan Allen cover that price tag. Then he comes back against Jacob Malkoon. Listen to this. Gets nine takedowns in that fight, attempts 13. I mean, if like Cody Brundage, may, maybe if he's lucky, he'll get a guillotine, but I think that Malkoon not only won't tap, I mean, if the guillotine is that good, he'll go to sleep, but I think he'll escape any guillotine attempt by Cody Brundage. If he gets rocked by one punch, I think he's going to overcome that too. And I think he's going to put a pace on this guy where Sean and Mick are going to be like, wow, we didn't cut this guy after only landing three significant strikes against Sadriquist and zero strikes against Mikal. We gave him another chance. Wow, that, that's one of our bigger mistakes. But, hey, let's reward Jacob Malkoon for his hard work and give him the easiest fight on the roster. So congrats, Jacob. You're about to come out here as a minus 600 favorite and look like a minus 6,000 favorite. I think Jacob Malkoon is going to break this guy, whether it's over three rounds to show his dominance or if Cody wants to cover up and let Jacob Malkoon get uh, his first UFC finish, I think that option is there as well. That's the big debate, finish or decision. But either way, domination. Yeah, so for me, it's... I mean, I'm on the fight doesn't go. I actually laid it at a minus 115. I got it on bet online. I thought the line was honestly going to move really quickly. I put 1.5 units on it. It's actually like my biggest bet on the card so far. My most confident bet. And just, what'd I you mean, say the odds were? I got minus 115. There's actually a plus 105 on um I think on Bovada, and I think a minus I think it could be minus uh, 105 on Betway if I could be mistaken. Okay. But uh. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Malcolm, man, I know he's not a finisher, but I mean, holy shit, dude. The, the pace that he's going to push on Brundage here, man, I mean, I think he's going to finish him, dude. I mean, when you go look at the Brendan Allen fight, man, he has some dominant positions. And Malcolm is a black belt, by the way, guys. He, he is a BJJ black belt. And he had Brendan Allen's back multiple times, and he actually had him mounted where he, he really could have ranged strikes, but he was being real safe on the ground. Brendan Allen, who is a very, very high-level black belt. We know Brendan Allen has good jiu-jitsu as well. And he was having some good moments against Allen as well. I think um, Malcoon's striking defense is a little bit like, I don't think it's good. I don't think his head movement's that good. I feel like the guy is there to be hit, especially when if you can stuff a takedown. But, I mean, what say what you want. I mean, Brundage came on one week's notice against Dumas. But to even get out-grappled by Dumas, who I think, honestly, is an amateur in the grappling... And to lose almost every single minute in the fight and not to have any fucking will at, at one point, basically to have your corner try to push it out of your ass in the third round. And, and like you threw two overhand rights and then you pulled D again when your corner's telling you not to do it. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible to Brandon, look at Brandon, do Brandon, three strikes. Terrible. Three strikes. Pathetic, dude. I had Dumas inside the distance, man. I was pissed. I'm like, I should have just taken the damn money line. But... Yeah, dude, I mean, especially when you look at Dumas in these positions where he was in, he could have passed position so many times, but we know Dumas struggled with the grappling against friends. He wanted to work on the grappling, and he said he worked on it really heavy in that camp. And say what you want about Dumas. He, he put on a good performance, you know. I, I know it was against Brundage, but the guy put on a good performance. But, uh, yeah, Brundage does have moments on the feet. Whenever Cody Brundage has moments, it, it's in the first round, every single fight. 
He drops Adolfo Vieira. He knocks out Trayshawn Gore, and the guy gets a guillotine out of his ass against Dolce. Um, it, it, it's crazy because the market pr- is priced his submission at plus 155, horrifying odds against Dumas. And now they're pricing it at plus 1,000. And, you know, could he get a can he get a guillotine? Maybe. But, I mean, I think Cody Brundage, especially this is this is the last fight on his contract, Dan. If I, I think he's honestly just taking this fight because it's his last fight on the contract. And he's like, all right, well, I have one round to finish this fight against a guy who is probably going to push the pace on me, out-wrestle. Did we uh, lose the MMA propaholic? I, th- I believe he's frozen. It's definitely not me, right? It's definitely him. He, he, he's frozen. And I think the UFC oh. is probably setting up both guys here. Oh. Hey, hey, you're uh, you're you're you freezing. Yeah, I can see you. You're freezing. You might want to do a quick little refresh. Oh. Oh. He'll he'll be back. He'll be back. Can you hear me still? Yeah, you're good now. You're, you me, you're right? good now. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, so yeah, dude, I I like the Malcoon round two and round three props, man. I I honestly think he's just gonna get Brundage down and just beat the shit out of him. I really think Brundage is just gonna quit, dude. I really do. I mean, you just watch the the Polo guillotine on Vieira. I mean, come on, man. You're not Fluffy Hernandez, man. You you're not Anthony Hernandez, but. Yeah, dude, I really like the fight doesn't go here. It's actually like my most confident bet of the card. I would be if if Cody Brundage goes to decision with Jacob Malcoon, if I'm gonna be quite honest with you, I think they're gonna have to drag him out of there. I really do, because the pace that Jacob Malcoon pushes, especially against higher level competition and getting a downgrade in competition here where he can learn how to pass positions here. He's going to go for a finish here. And he really put that say what you want about Maximov. He was injured in that last fight with the bad knee. He was putting Maximov on the back foot and hurting him a lot in those positions. And yeah, so I like the fight doesn't go here. Malcoon is just going to, I think, run through Cody Brundage. And I think Cody Brundage is at his line in the first round. And we've seen Malcoon hurt before. We've seen him knock down in 18 seconds. And yeah, so it doesn't go for me here. I'm picking Malcoon by complete domination. And I'm picking Malcoon to win this fight inside the distance. You know what's funny? I don't know this for a fact, but uh, you know how you were talking about how this was probably Cody's last fight on his contract? Yeah. I, I have a theory. I have a theory that they cut him after the Dumas fight because um, Malkoon was supposed to fight this Russian, Hisriev. He was supposed to fight, and then Hisriev pulls out. And then he was supposed to fight this 17-5 and five Polish guy. He pulls out. So they're like, all right, call, call Cody Brundage, you know? So I think it was just one of those situations. And then after he loses this, uh, you know, he can come fight in the NFC. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Jake Collier. He's 13-9, and nine, taking on Mohamed Uzman, who's 9-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Mohamed Uzman, minus 135. The comeback on Jake Collier is plus 115. So here's my thing with this fight. For some reason... Everybody, like a lot of betters, not everybody, but a lot of betters have like some kind of sentimental thing uh, with Jay Collier. And I get it. You know, he's he's a fat dude. He's an American. He's a hard worker. You know, people can relate to him like he he doesn't look like he should be in there. Right. He doesn't have a six pack, 
but he's he's gonna work hard and and I get it. So people love him. But it just kind of reminds me of like when Jared Vandero was in the UFC. He went like one in six, but like everyone bet him every single fight, acted like he was the value side, he'd lose every single fight. And Collier, um, you know, he's like two and five since he's gone up to heavyweight. A lot of people don't know this. He used to fight at like middleweight. Um and what long ass time ago, but he took like a few years off. It comes back at heavyweight and first fight is against Aspinall. And, and this was Aspinall's debut. And people were like betting Jay Collier against Aspinall. As soon as I saw the weigh-ins and I saw that, you know, he was in his third trimester of pregnancy, I laid the minus two or minus three or whatever straight on Aspinall. And at this point, I mean, you got to give Jay Collier credit that he has put up some good output numbers. You know, he's not bad. I mean, he's got some good spins. He's done some stuff, whatever. He's fought close in a couple fights that he's lost that some people thought he may, maybe should have won or, and whatnot. But at, at the end of the day, uh, when you get finished by guys like Chris Barnett, um, that doesn't give me much confidence in your prospects going forward. Like you just you're not a heavyweight, buddy. You know, you're 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 a decent middleweight, but you're not a heavyweight. And with Muhammad Usman, I know that this is not Kamaru Usman, but you don't need to be as good as Kamaru Usman to beat Jay Collier. Um, Muhammad Usman, you know, he's physical. He's a little bit on the slower and kind of rigid side, but he's a powerful individual. You know, that knockout he landed against Pauga. He wasn't looking good up, up until then, but when he landed it, I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't a TKO. It, it, it was a KO. And then the fight against Junior Taffa, look, he only landed like seven strikes total in that fight, but he controlled him for over 12 minutes of the fight. So he did what he had to do. We know he can land knockouts. We know he can control people. So I, I get why people like Collier, but I feel like it's just another Jared Vandera trap where, you know, you think this guy's the value side, and then he ends up going one and six in the UFC. This guy's two and five at heavyweight. He's about to be two and six at heavyweight. Well, there's going to be a better time to fade Mohamed Usman. But I think uh, Usman, you know, probably lands a couple takedowns. It's probably an ugly, sloppy fight with Usman coming out on top. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going to Usman here. Yeah, um, it's a little bit scary because I actually have a bet on Muhammad Usman. I have 1.01 units on him to win 0.75 units at minus 135 on DraftKings. And it's just because, like, you know, Jay Collier, it's crazy, Dan, because he's never seen one takedown attempt at heavyweight, and the guy's been finished on the ground. And, like, Muhammad Usman, very physical, he could definitely cage put uh, cage push Collier, and when he shoots that double leg man, and I, 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 this is what I really think. I think if he gets down Collier, honestly, once I think he wins the round. I, I don't think Collier gets back up. We just have not seen Collier off his back, and when we have, I mean, Chris Barnett is full mounting this guy and just shoving like Jay Collier guys prior to that went for a takedown and fell over because he was so goddamn tired from not finishing Barnett in that first round. I give Barnett all the credit in the world because, my goodness, I had a bet on Collier inside the distance at plus 140, and that 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 just completely stung, man. But, uh, yeah, I, I like Usman here. Um, I think Collier can have some uh, moments on the feet. Um, it might be a little hard for Usman to close distance early, but it's like, you know, this guy coming from the fighter house, I, I understand his striking isn't that good, but it's like the guy doesn't have a bad jab, and he always does produce that power. Like, the guy does have one punch power like if he hits you you know you're gonna get hurt and you know like with Collier the guy does have pretty good lead uppercuts I honestly do like his dirty boxing I don't think his dirty boxing is that bad I really feel like that's where he could have moments against Usman but 
what did scare me about Usman against Toppa, and I think really high of Junior Toppa. Like, I think Junior Toppa is, is going to be a very good prospect in the heavyweight division. And I honestly think he's better than his brother. Um, I I really like his – Junior Toppa is way faster than Collier, and I think he hits way harder than Collier. And, you know, I don't think this is the fight for Collier to start losing weight. Like, if you go look at his, uh, his Twitter, man – you know, he's, he's with his friends, and the, the guy looks like he, he's 230 pounds, man. He looks like he lost a lot of weight, and I think he's really knowing, like, yeah, my conditioning sucks. I want to work on my conditioning, and I really feel like I need to lose weight. So maybe he's went on a huge diet for this fight, man. Maybe he's trying to, like, he's trying to drop a couple of pounds because maybe he knows he's going to be in the wrestling here. But, like, I don't think this is the right fight to do it because now that he's losing weight in the clinch, that just gives more muscle for Usman to get him down and kind of hold him down there because Usman's a big guy. If that guy gets on top of you, you're more than likely not getting up. I know Top is green in MMA, but still, man, he's able to hold a guy like that down. And Top was coming out in the last couple of minutes and still showed that he had cardio and kind of hurt Usman in the last couple of seconds of that fight. And I just don't think uh, Collier's cardio is there. So, yeah, I like Muhammad Usman here. I honestly think he, he dominates this fight. I could potentially see a finish from him on top. I, I think he's going to be... um. I think he's going to show more uh, ground and pound in this fight. He didn't really go to it against Toppa because he just did. He want absolutely nothing to do with Junior Toppa on the feet. And I can't blame him, man, because those guys, that guy's light kicks, man, they're vicious. And he knows he's coming from that glory kickboxing background. So why stand with a guy like Toppa on the feet when you can get him on the ground and hold him there and just win minutes and not take damage? I thought it was a good game plan. The guy showed good fight IQ there. And yeah. So I like Muhammad Usman here. I don't think he's the best fighter, but I don't think Collier is a good fighter either. Could Collier have moments early in the on the striking? Yes, but once Muhammad Usman gets this fight to the ground, man, I don't think Collier is getting up. So give me the guy who I think is going to mix in the takedowns, uh, keep his uh, range on the feet. And uh, yeah, I like Muhammad Usman here. I got him minus 135. And I honestly still think he's a good bet now, dude. Now, before we talk about these next... These last two fights, y'all do me a huge favor. Smash that like button, please. Also, subscribe if you're not currently subscribed. And when this is over, please leave me a comment and also follow my man, Brandon. What's your at on Twitter? At uh, MMA underscore Propaholic. MMA underscore Propaholic. You got a YouTube channel too? Yeah, I got a YouTube as well. You want to you wanna tell them? Yeah, I go, yeah it's just uh, MMA Propaholic as well. No underscore in it. All right. MMA propaholic, y'all will find it. Make sure you follow him. Now, real quick, I just want to say something to the fans because y'all remember back in the day when I used to do these breakdowns, I used to start, you know, with the first prelim and then work my way up to the main event. And then I changed it and I started going from the main event down to the first prelim. And a lot of people gave me a lot of shit for that. Well, let me ask you something. Would you rather hear about Rafael Fiziev versus Mateusz Gamrot, or would you rather hear about Mizuki, Mizuki Inoue and Hannah Goldie and Montserrat Rendon and Tamiris Vidal? So please, let, let me do what I'm doing, all right, y'all? Because next up in the strawweight division, we got Mizuki Inoue. She's 14-6, and six, taking on Hannah Goldie, who's 6-3. and three. Currently, they got it. Mizuki Inoue, minus 305. The comeback on Hannah Goldie is plus 255. I got to be honest. Well, I'm always honest, but figure of speech, I got to be honest. I've been very disappointed with Hannah Goldie because in her contender series fight, she did some things I like, man. She put up 141 significant strikes. So I was thinking that she'd be like one of these good point fighters that I could get some good dog odds on and better in some kind of low-key spots. And man, she's gotten one and three in the UFC. 
and lost to low-level fighters like Miranda Granger, who's no longer with the company. Deanna Belbita, she's been doing her thing now, but wasn't doing her thing back then. Deanna even landed a knockdown in that fight. The Emily Whitmire fight, which is the sole win of Goldie's career, I mean, Whitmire landed two takedowns, was throwing her around, and then props to Goldie on that beautiful armbar. And then Molly McCann looks like goddamn Ricardo Ramos with that spinning back elbow in there. So I've been very disappointed with what I've seen from Goldie in the UFC thus far. And with Mizuki, she's kind of on the smaller side, uh, but she's got, you know, she's a little spark plug. She's got some fast hands. She's very tough, very durable, but she's been outstruck by both her UFC opponents. Okay, we'll give her a pass for getting outstruck by Amanda Lemos, but getting outstruck by, by Wu Yan An, come on now, come on now. And you want me to lay minus 300? I'm good on that. I'll pick Mizuki because I think she's the more uh, complete fighter here. But she's been out for three years. We don't know what she's been up to. Plus, she has to make that flight over to the United States. Um, she's from Japan, I think. That's a That ain't yeah. no easy flight, Brandon. I'll tell you that right yeah. now. Um, unless one of y'all can confirm that she's been in the States training, you know, prior. She's um. She actually uh, got knee surgery back in 2022. And she actually left the States in New York to go back to Japan to actually be with her friends and be back with her former coaches. Um, she's made some travels to uh I think to Thailand and trained at uh trained there for a little bit. I think she had like an eight-week camp over there where she was uh practicing on her BJJ. And honestly, Dan, like I like her back in Japan, dude, because when you go watch her on the regional scenes and Invicta, dude, like back in 2017, 2018, because this girl doesn't really have too many fights recently, like She's getting these girls down, and she's just beating them up, man. I mean, I really like her in the clinch, dude. And what I did like about her when she made it to the UFC level, she went and was learning from at the Aljamain Sterling camp. Like, like she was learning from them. So I feel like if and, uh, Matt, Matt Sarah and the guys. So I feel like that was pretty good for her. And, you know, she didn't fight bad against Lemos, you know? She was able to win a lot of minutes up against the fence. I think she won like six minutes and 45 seconds of uh, clinch control time up against the fence. And when I watch Hannah Goldie, man, it's her stylistic way of fighting, which I don't like her in this fight. And here's why. As you said, Dan, she likes to fight uh, at range and just point fight. She has that kickboxing background, you know. And it's like her USC, as you said, dude, her USC career has just been disappointing, man. I mean, Emily Whitmere is going out there and looking D1 on your ass, taking you down and, you know, you throw the most obvious arm bar of all time, and you just tell it from a mile away that Emily Whitmere just has the arm out, and it's like, Emily, get the arm out of there, get the arm out of there, and there's Hannah Goldie throwing up an arm bar and submitting her. So I really wasn't impressed with that at all because she was losing every single minute of that. And as soon as she got a hold of her, man, she got her down. And, you know, with the muscle that – because Goldie is jacked. I mean, she she does, like, pack muscle. I think, I think she's big for the division, and – I feel like her coming back down to 115 from 125 could maybe be a little bit of a problem for her. So I'm kind of looking to see how she is. But yeah, Mizuki's coming back after a three-year layoff. I honestly really like her in this spot, dude. I think the UFC is literally setting her up. I think she's a perfect parlay piece. I know it's a little bit terrifying to lay her in a parlay, but man, Hannah Goldie's just done nothing to impress me, man. Like, I don't think she has good wrestling. I don't, I don't think she has good takedown defense. And the way she fights, man, the way she fights just isn't a good look for the judges, man. Like, if you're going to fight Mizuki on the back foot, you're going to find yourself up against the fence. Then you're going to find yourself on the ground. And Mizuki has a slick arm bar. She's a BJJ black belt as well. And I really like her back in Japan, man, because I think she's going back to her old roots. And this girl literally has losses to against Alexa Grasso, Carolina Kovacavich, 
Varen, uh, Janet Roba via split decision where she had Janet Roba and a couple of submissions off her back as well. That's where she was scoring minutes, literally off her back. And Hannah Goldie with that kickboxing background, man, I don't think, like, I know she's with Jordan Levitt. I know she's, like, at that camp, but, like, it's still her at that camp, man. I don't think that could really change the fact that she's going to be getting taken down here. So I took Mizuki minus three and a half, dude. I took it at minus 160. Um, the lines actually kind of went down on me a little bit. I think you can get 945 on bet online. Now I think DraftKings is honestly going to give a minus 125 when you guys want to get on that. But yeah, I think Mizuki's a great parlay piece and I really like her submission here, dude. I think she's going to get her down. I think she's going to beat her up. She does a really good job, man. It's setting up the ground and uh, setting up the position with a lot of ground and pound, making her opponents think. And yeah, dude, I think Mizuki honestly runs through Hannah Goldie here, Dan. And I know Dixon saying in the chat, Dixon always be coming up with the OnlyFans feed. I'm the OnlyFans. It's $10 a month. I am not subscribed. But uh, yeah, I, I like Mizuki here, man. I think she gets this fight done dominantly. It's just a real question. Can we trust her on a three-year layoff at this price tag off knee surgery? I can. It's a little bit scary, but I can. And I think she dominates Anna Goldie here. I need submission here. I got her as well. And last but not least in the Bantamweight division, we got Tamiras Vidal. She's 7-1, welcoming Montserrat Rendon, who's 5-0 to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Tamiras Vidal, minus 220. The comeback on Montserrat Rendon is plus 185. Um, man, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I said she's 7-1. She's actually 6-2 because she did not beat Aileen Perez in that fight. If you watch that fight... Uh, I mean, when, when you quit and they call you the winner, you know, it's like when uh, Peter Yan knocked out Aljamain Sterling. When you knock a grown man out and they call him the winner, like, like stop it. So to me, um, I was actually shocked that Tamir Vidal made it to the UFC. And I think that that fight against Ramona Pasquale, that's like the only time that she should be a minus two something favorite against anyone on the roster. And even in, in that fight, people only remember the knee, which it, it wasn't even a flying knee to the face. It was like a flying knee to the body. It was a soft yeah. flying knee against a total can who went 0-3 in the UFC, who had zero business there. Not something you're going to see often. That can was landing shots on Tamir's Vidal. I think Tamir's Vidal... 14 I don't of 14, Dan. 14 of 14, Ramona Pasquale was. Right, exactly. Like, listen, man, um, she's got some leg kicks and this. I think she's on the slower side. I don't think she's. I don't think she's anything special. I don't think Rendon's anything special, but at least Rendon's physical. Uh, Rendon, um, you know, she's Mexican, so you know she's tough as hell. She she's willing to throw hands, and I guess the biggest criticism is everyone's talking about, oh, but she goes to split decision every fight. Okay, well, as a plus one eighty five dog, I don't give a shit if you go to split decision. Go to split decision here for me. That, that that's all I would need if I were to take it. This is a clear dogger pass situation. I do not think Tamir's Vidal is you know like I said, people saw a, a little flying knee against an absolute scrub, and now they think that this girl is fucking Yoanni and Jacek or some shit. And I'm here to let you know that is not the case at all uh she was getting owned by aileen perez on gym mats uh back in their scene and um besides that yeah I, I'm, I'm i was surprised she made it to the ufc this is a low level fight um and i think the odds are off so to be honest with you i'm gonna go montserrat rendon via decision uh but if i were to play it it would just be money line yeah i i completely agree with you man i mean when i watch rendon's tape i don't really think she's bad at uh maintaining range i think she does have pretty high volume she has a good chin as well she's eating a couple of good shots on the regional scene she's just able to walk forward but i mean 
man, is Rendon slow? I mean, she she's pretty damn slow on the feet, man. I don't like she. I don't like her speed. I mean, it's pretty. She's pretty easy to be countered. Um, but I mean, Vidal, man, I, I don't think Vidal is any that good, Dan. As you said, like where Vidal does succeed is where she's trying to out physical her opponents and. I just don't know if she's going to be able to out physical Rendon here. Like, I honestly like her up against the fence. I like her knees. She does a good job at uh, throwing an elbow, then closing back out distance, and then where she starts leading her jab again, start throwing the one-two combinations, where she starts adding strikes up for the judges. So, yeah, I, I think this is a close fight. I mean, a, a win over Ramona Pasquale doesn't impress me one bit, especially when you got landed on 14 of 14 significant strikes. I just thought that was uh, very alarming as well. So yeah, Rendon at this price tag, man. It's it's a little tempting, man. I, I I'm I'm a little bit tempted at it. I, I do want to retake this fight just before I clarify putting a bet on this fight because I think putting a bet on this fight is a little bit horrifying to begin with. But yeah, I'm definitely gonna retape it. But honestly, for a pick, Dan, I'm gonna go with you. I'm I'm gonna lead uh I'm gonna lead Rendon here. I think she wins this fight, man. And I think she could win it by a decision. So. The bet I am looking for, dude, is that point spread at plus three and a half to say that she can't win a round because Vidal gasses as well. I don't like her cardio, dude. She can't get the takedown, man. She quits. And yeah, so give me the plus three and a half and give me the money line, man. I like her to win this fight, and I think she wins by decision. So normally we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, but I actually do have to head out. But Brandon, thank you so much for joining me on this special edition of Half the Battle. The fans can follow you at MMA Propaholic on Twitter, on YouTube. Just search it. You'll find him. Uh, great job. And for all the fans, thank you all very, very much for all your support, whether it's from day one, somewhere along the way, or recently. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please hit the like button. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed. When this is over, leave me a comment. If you feel so inclined, please share. Best of luck to you. Good luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.